Section six of Dogmatic Theology Soteriology by William G. T. Shedd. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Regeneration, Part One. In the Westminster symbol, the application of redemption is attributed to a particular work of God denominated effectual calling. The Spirit applieth to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling, and this effectual calling is defined to be the work of God's Spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing, larger catechism 67 adds, and powerfully determining, our wills he doth persuade and enable us to embrace jesus christ freely offered to us in the gospel according to this definition the effectual call produces a conviction of conscience b illumination of understanding c renovation of the will d faith in christ's atonement everything in redemption runs back ultimately to god his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness two peter one three but such effects in the soul as conviction illumination renovation and faith imply a great change within it these are fruits and evidences of that spiritual transformation which in scripture is denominated a new birth a new creation a resurrection from the dead a death to sin and life to righteousness a passage from darkness to light consequently effectual calling includes and implies regeneration hence it is said in the westminster confession thirteen one that they who are effectually called and regenerated having a new heart and a new spirit created in them are farther sanctified in the westminster confession ten two effectual calling is made to include regeneration because man is said to be altogether passive until he is enabled to answer the call footnote in the older theological treatises regeneration commonly does not constitute a separate topic but is discussed under the head of vocation End footnote. the term regeneration has been used in a wide and in a restricted sense it may signify the whole process of salvation including the preparatory work of conviction and the concluding work of sanctification or it may denote only the imparting of spiritual life in the new birth excluding the preparatory and concluding processes the romish church regards regeneration as comprehending everything in the transition from a state of condemnation on earth to a state of salvation in heaven and confounds justification with sanctification the lutheran doctrine stated in the apology for the augsburg confession and in the formula concordiae employs regeneration in the wide meaning but distinguishes carefully between justification and sanctification in the reformed church the term regeneration was also employed in the wide signification like the lutheran while carefully distinguishing between justification and sanctification the reformed theologian brought under the term regeneration everything that pertains to the development as well as to the origination of the new spiritual life regeneration thus included not only the new birth but all that issues from it it comprised the converting acts of faith and repentance and also the whole struggle with indwelling sin in progressive sanctification thus calvin remarks i apprehend repentance poenatentiam to be regeneration regenerationem the end of which is the restoration of the divine image within us in this regeneration we are restored by the grace of christ to the righteousness of god from which we fell in adam and this restoration is not accomplished in a single moment or day or year but by continual even tardy advances the lord destroys the carnal corruptions of his elect 
here regeneration is employed to denote not merely the instantaneous act of imparting life to the spiritually dead but also the processes of conversion and sanctification that result from it this wide use of the term passed into the english theology the divines of the seventeenth century very generally do not distinguish between regeneration and conversion but employ the two as synonyms owen does this continually on the spirit three five and charnock likewise attributes practical atheism the westminster symbol does not use the term regeneration instead of it it employs the term vocation or effectual calling this comprises the entire work of the holy spirit in the application of redemption under it belongs everything pertaining to the process of salvation from the first step of conviction of sin to the act of saving faith in jesus christ compare fisher on the catechism thirty one and thirty two the wide and somewhat vague use of the term regeneration was suggested by a few scripture texts the apostle in ephesians four twenty two to twenty five gives the injunction put off the old man put on the new man and be renewed in the spirit of your minds in romans twelve two he exhorts christians to be transformed by the renewing of their mind in two corinthians four sixteen he says that the inward man is renewed day by day in these instances as the uses of and instead of shows the notion of moulding or forming rather than that of regenerating is in st paul's mind he is addressing those in whom the principle of the new life has been implanted who have been born again and now urges them to the exercise and nurture of the new life similarly the prophet ezekiel eighteen thirty one addressing the house of israel the church of god says make you a new heart and a new spirit here the return from backsliding and the reformation and culture of the spiritual life not the actual regeneration of the soul are what is demanded neither of these two texts refers to regeneration in the restricted signification of the term god does not in either of them command man to quicken himself to create life from the dead to command the light to shine out of darkness to call things that be not as though they were two corinthians four six romans four seventeen in them both he exhorts regenerate but backsliding man as he does the church at ephesus to repent and do the first works revelation two five in the new testament the renewing of regeneration is denoted by and that of sanctification by ephesians four twenty three romans twelve two but this wide use of the term regeneration led to confusion of ideas and views as there are two distinct words in the language regeneration and conversion there are also two distinct notions denoted by them consequently there arose gradually a stricter use of the term regeneration and its discrimination from conversion turretin defines two kinds of conversion as the term was employed in his day the first is habitual or passive conversion it is the production of a habit or disposition of the soul conversio habitualis seo passiva fit per habitum supernaturalium infusionem a spiritu sancto the second kind is actual or active conversion it is the acting out in faith and repentance of this implanted habit or disposition conversio actualis seo activa fit per bonorum istorum habituum exercitium quo actus fidei et 
coenitente et dantur adeo et homine elicuntur. After thus defining, Tariton remarks that the first kind of conversion is better denominated regeneration because it has reference to that new birth by which man is renewed in the image of his maker, and the second kind of conversion is better denominated conversion because it includes the operation and agency of man himself. De Moore on Mark, after distinguishing between conversio activa and passiva, says that the latter is synonymous with vocation we shall adopt this distinction between regeneration and conversion regeneration accordingly is an act conversion is an activity or a process regeneration is the origination of life conversion is the evolution and manifestation of life regeneration is wholly an act of god conversion is wholly an activity of man regeneration is a cause conversion is an effect regeneration is instantaneous conversion is continuous the doctrine of regeneration was taught by christ to nicodemus john three three and six except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of god that which is born of the spirit is spirit john one thirteen the sons of god are born not of the will of man but of god it had been previously taught in the old testament ezekiel eleven nineteen i will put a new spirit within you and i will take the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh Ezekiel 36.26, a new heart will I give you. Jeremiah 31.33, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. The vision of dry bones, Ezekiel 37, taught the doctrine symbolically. Moses taught the doctrine in Deuteronomy 36. The Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Compare Psalm 51.10 respecting regeneration the following characteristics are to be noted one regeneration is solely the work of god the terms employed in scripture prove this creating anew ephesians four twenty four begetting james one eighteen quickening john five twenty one ephesians two five calling out of darkness into light one peter two nine commanding the light to shine out of darkness two corinthians four six alive from the dead romans six thirteen new creature 2 Corinthians 5.17, born again, John 3, 3-7, God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. These terms denote a work of omnipotent power. The origination of life is impossible to the creature. He can receive life, he can nurture life, and he can use and exert life, but he cannot create life. 2. Regeneration, as the creative and life-giving act of God, produces an effect on the human understanding. It is illumination, enlightening the mind. Westminster Larger Catechism 67. God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Ephesians 1, 18, Philippians 1, 9, Colossians 3, 10, 1 John 4, 7, 5, 20, John 17, 5, Psalm 19, 7 and 8, 43, 3 and 4. The distinguishing peculiarity of the knowledge produced by regeneration is that it is experimental. By this is meant that the cognition is that of immediate consciousness. This is the highest and clearest form of cognition. When, for example, the truth that God is merciful is stated in language, the natural man understands the language grammatically and logically, but nothing more. He has no accompanying consciousness of God's mercy. In common phrase, he does not feel that God is merciful but a knowledge that is destitute of inward consciousness is an inferior species. 
it is a blind man's knowledge of colour the blind man understands the phraseology by which the colour is described it conveys logical and self-consistent notions to his understanding but it is unattended with sensation such a knowledge of colour is inadequate in reality is ignorance compared with that of a man possessed of vision it is the knowledge of a sensuous object without any sensation it is quasi-knowledge such as christ refers to when he says of the natural man seeing he sees not and hearing he hears not illumination or instruction by the holy spirit implies then the production of an experimental consciousness of religious truth in this respect it differs from human teaching this is alluded to in john six sixty three the words i speak unto you they are spirit and they are life that is they are spiritual life vital and conscious knowledge of religious truth is the effect of the operation of the holy spirit in the human understanding one man can teach religious truth by grammatical propositions to another but he cannot illumine his mind in respect to it he can tell a man that god is holy is love that sin is hateful and virtue is lovely but he cannot impart the consciousness that god is holy that god is love that sin is hateful that virtue is lovely the production of an experience upon such subjects is the prerogative of god hence all the unexperimental knowledge of the natural man upon religious subjects is denominated ignorance in scripture said christ to the jews ye neither know me nor my father john eight nineteen to his disciples he said it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven matthew thirteen eleven this is life eternal to know thee the only true god and jesus christ whom thou hast sent john seventeen three no man knoweth the father save the son and he to whomsoever the son will reveal him matthew eleven twenty seven the book of proverbs and ecclesiastes are filled with the praise of a kind of knowledge which they represent sinful man to be destitute of and which is the gift of god christ the great high priest has compassion upon the ignorant hebrews five two scoffers are willingly ignorant two peter three five unbelieving jews were ignorant of god's righteousness romans ten three before regeneration men fashion themselves according to their lusts in ignorance one peter one fourteen the sinful condition of the pagan world is called a time of ignorance which god in his forbearance temporarily overlooked acts seventeen thirty sin is often denominated folly the psalmist mourning over the remainders of sin exclaims so foolish was i and ignorant psalm seventy three thirty two st paul explains the difference between the knowledge of the natural man and that of the regenerate in one corinthians two fourteen the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of god for they are foolishness unto him there is a wide difference says owen between the mind's receiving doctrines notionally and its receiving the things taught in them really the first a natural man can do it is done by all who by the use of outward means do know the doctrine of scripture in distinction from human ignorance and error hence men unregenerate are said to know the way of righteousness two peter two twenty one this true and real reception of divine truth according to owen denotes a an apprehension that these spiritual things agree with the divine attributes and express them the doctrine of gratuitous justification for example when received by the regenerate mind is perceived to accord with all the attributes of god and thus to be a manifestation of the glory of god b an apprehension that the particular spiritual thing is suited to the end proposed the death of christ for example is adapted in every way to meet the demands of god's holy nature and of man's sinful nature 
it is not foolishness but wisdom or an adaption of means to ends and is so perceived and understood by the spiritual man but not by the natural that there is this power of illuminating the understanding is proved by the fact that good men pray that it may be exercised psalm one hundred nineteen thirty four give me understanding and i shall keep thy law psalm one hundred nineteen sixty eight teach me thy statutes three regeneration with respect to the human will is renewal the westminster larger catechism question sixty seven describes one part of effectual calling as the renewing and powerfully determining of the will biblical texts that prove this are ezekiel eleven nineteen i will put a new spirit within you and i will take away the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh ezekiel thirty six twenty six and twenty seven psalm fifty one ten renew a right spirit within me hebrews thirteen twenty one may the god of peace make you perfect to do his will working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight romans nine sixteen it is not of him that willeth but of god that showeth mercy philippians two thirteen god worketh in you to will psalm one hundred ten three thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power two thessalonians three five the lord direct your hearts into the love of god those texts also which describe regeneration as a quickening prove that the will is renewed recurring to the distinction which we have made between inclination and volition or choice regeneration is to be defined as the origination of a new inclination by the holy spirit not as the exertion of a new volition or making a new choice by the sinner keeping this distinction in mind we say that in regeneration god inclines man to holiness and disinclines him to sin this change of the disposition of the will is attributable solely to the holy spirit the sinner discovers on making the attempt that he is unable to reverse his determination to self and the creature he cannot start a contrary disposition of his will he is unable to incline himself to god as the chief end of his existence he can choose the antecedents or preparatives to inclining but he cannot incline by a volition he can read his bible this is a preparative or antecedent to supreme love of god but it is not supreme love and cannot produce it by volitions he can listen to preaching and can refrain from vicious actions these also are preparatives or antecedents to a holy inclination of the will but are not this inclination itself and cannot produce it it is a fact of consciousness that while the sinner can put forth single volitions or particular choices that are favourable to a new voluntary disposition because they evince the need of it he cannot begin the new disposition itself he cannot incline himself by any volition whatsoever the will says edwards in the time of a leading act or inclination that is opposite to the command of god is not able to exert itself to the contrary the sinful inclination is unable to change itself and for this plain reason that it is unable to incline to change itself to employ a phrase of edwards the unregenerate is unable to be willing in the direction of holiness the reason and ground of this inability has been explained in anthropology the inability is voluntary in the sense that it is the consequence of an act of self-determination and this act was the sin in adam by which the human will became sinfully inclined by the operation of the holy spirit in regeneration the man is enabled to incline to holiness instead of sin in the scripture phraseology he is made willing psalm one hundred ten three god works in him to will philippians two thirteen 
in the phraseology of the westminster statement larger catechism sixty seven he is powerfully determined by renewing the sinful and self-enslaved will the holy spirit empowers it to self-determine or incline to god as the chief good and the supreme end this new determination expels and takes the place of the old sinful self-determination from this new self-determination or inclination or disposition or principle holy volitions or choices proceed and from the holy choices holy actions that god the spirit possesses the power to originate an inclination to holiness in the human will is proved by the biblical representations david frequently asks god to exert this power psalm one hundred nineteen thirty six incline my heart unto thy testimonies psalm one hundred nineteen thirty five make me to go in the path of thy commandments psalm one hundred nineteen thirty seven turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity psalm fifty one ten create in me a clean heart psalm fifty one fifteen open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise isaiah sixty four eight we are the clay and thou our potter acts sixteen fourteen the lord opened the heart of lydia that she attended to the things which were spoken by paul the assurance of christ that the holy spirit shall be given to every one that asks implies the power of the spirit to incline the human will while the operation of the holy spirit upon the human will is inexplicable john three eight yet certain particulars are clear a the influence of the spirit is distinguishable from that of the truth for that of man upon man and from that of any instrument or means whatever his energy acts directly upon the human soul itself it is the influence of spirit upon spirit of one of the trinitarian persons upon a human person neither the truth nor a fellow man can thus operate directly upon the essence of the soul itself it is in this respect that theologians have defined the influence of the holy ghost upon the human will to be physical the physis or essence of the holy spirit operates upon the physis of the human spirit in regeneration there is immediate contact between god and man spiritual essence touches spiritual essence yet there is no mingling or confusion of substance god and man are two distinct and different beings yet in regeneration they approach closer to each other than they do either in creation or providence this fact is supported by the metaphors which describe the intimacy of the union between the believer and christ the one is the head and the other is a member of the same body christ is the very life of the regenerate soul in two instances the church is called christ galatians three sixteen to thy seed which is christ one corinthians twelve twelve christ is formed in the believer galatians four nineteen it is also supported by the biblical statements respecting the working of the holy spirit in the soul romans eight twenty six and twenty seven the spirit maketh intercession the operation of the spirit is so intimate that his working cannot in consciousness be distinguished from that of the soul itself the believer is a temple of the holy spirit one corinthians six nineteen that the influence of the holy spirit is directly upon the human spirit and is independent even of the word itself is further proved by the fact that it is exerted in the case of infants without any employment of the truth john the baptist was filled with the holy ghost even from his mother's womb luke one fifteen footnote maya in loco explains eti literally still from his mother's womb after birth he was still the subject of the holy spirit's influences as he was before it End footnote. b by reason of this peculiarity in the operation of the holy spirit it does not force the human will it is purely spiritual agency exerted upon a spiritual being 
if matter could operate by contact and come upon the will and directly upon mind the consequence would be compulsion the two things are heterogeneous but when god operates directly upon man the two beings are homogeneous it is a scholastic maxim that quisquid recipitur recipitur in modum recipientis sensuous organs alone are adapted to receive sensuous impressions from objects of sense the immaterial spirit alone is adapted to receive an impression from the eternal spirit man's body cannot experience spiritual influences and his soul cannot be affected by matter c the operation of the holy spirit is in the will that of the truth and of man upon man is on the will the more interior an influence is the farther is it from being compulsory it is better able to work in accordance with the nature and constitution of that within which it works if it were operating up extra it would be more apt to work across or against the constitutional structure propriem est dei movere voluntatem maxime interius eam inclinando aquinas summa one a hundred and five four four man is passive in regeneration he cannot actively originate spiritual life his relation to regeneration is that of a recipient this is a part of the meaning of passivity in this connection in that particular instant when the divine and holy life is implanted the soul of man contributes no energy or efficiency of any kind being dead in sin it cannot produce life to righteousness a corpse cannot originate animal life lazarus was passive at that punctum temporis when his body was reanimated the same is true of the soul of man in respect to regeneration but since regeneration is instantaneous the sinner's passivity is instantaneous also man is passive only for a moment during the twinkling of an eye god's regenerating act is like the sounding of the last trumpet the resurrection of dead bodies is instantaneous and the regeneration of dead souls is so likewise the doctrine that the sinner is passive in regeneration does not imply that the passivity extends over a great length or even any length of time in his existence on the contrary it is only a punctum temporis in his history up to that point of time he is active active in enmity to god after that point of time he is active in submission to god the carnal mind is enmity the spiritual mind is love enmity and love are activities of the soul between the carnal mind and the spiritual mind there is nothing but the instant of regeneration in this instant when the new life is imparted the activity is solely that of god the holy ghost five man cannot cooperate in regeneration this follows logically from the fact that he is passive in regeneration a dead man cannot assist in his own resurrection it also follows from the fact that cooperation implies some agreement between the parties god and the sinner must harmonize before they can work together two forces cannot cooperate unless they are coordinate and coincident forces but up to the instant of regeneration man is hostile to god the carnal mind is enmity toward god romans eight seven enmity cannot cooperate with love upon the semi-pelagian the tridentine and the arminian theory of depravity there may be cooperation but not upon the augustinian and calvinistic according to the former theories there are slight remainders of holiness in the natural man which though feeble can afford a point of contact and an element of force in his regeneration calvin attributes synergism to chrysostom and also to bernard and lombard in his institutes two two six 
Lombard, in order to establish the position that the human will performs its part in regeneration, informs us that two sorts of grace are necessary. One he calls operative, by which we efficaciously will what is good, the other cooperative, which attends as auxiliary to a good will. This division I dislike, because, while he attributes an efficacious desire of what is good to the grace of God, he insinuates that man has of his own nature antecedent, though ineffectual, desires after what is good as bernard asserts that a good will is the work of god but yet allows that man is self-impelled to desire such a good will but this is very remote from the meaning of augustine from whom however lombard claims to have borrowed this distinction synergism is enunciated in the canons of the council of trent regeneration is explained as taking place by some cooperation of the will with the divine the will is said to be excited and assisted by divine grace similarly limborg says that grace is not solitary yet it is the primary cause of salvation for the cooperation of free will is due to grace as a primary cause for unless the free will had been excited excitatum by provenient grace it would not be able to cooperate with grace these are not the terms which the scriptures employ to excite and assist sinful man is not the same as to quicken and renew him to excite the human will is to stimulate it not to impart life excitement supposes some vitality which is in low tone and requires a tonic assistance implies that the will already has some force in the right direction which only needs to be added to this is very different from the view presented in ezekiel thirty seven fourteen i will put my spirit in you and ye shall live if there be some spiritual life in the natural man he can cooperate in regeneration but if he is dead in trespasses and sins ephesians two eleven he cannot the truth upon this subject is well stated in the westminster confession ten two this effectual call is of god's free and special grace alone not from anything at all foreseen in man who is altogether passive therein until being quickened and renewed by the holy spirit he is thereby enabled to answer the call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it according to this statement man is passive until he is quickened after which divine act he is actively holy it is said by some that the sinful will has the power to cease self-determination to evil though it has not the power to self-determine or incline to good it can stop resistance to god though it can do nothing more but this would involve a cessation of all action in the will both sinful and holy action at the instant of regeneration and this would make the will characterless at this instant but in anthropology we have shown that the will cannot be inactive or destitute of an inclination either good or evil the will must be incessantly inclined in order to be a will as the understanding must be incessantly intelligent in order to be an understanding consequently the cessation of sinful inclination must be caused by the origination of holy inclination sin does not first stop and then holiness comes into the place of sin but holiness positively expels sin darkness does not first cease and then light enters but light drives out darkness sin goes out as chalmers phrases it by the expulsive power of a new affection consequently the regeneration of the will is the only way to stop the evil inclination of the will again it is said that there is receptivity for holiness in the fallen will though there is no energy to produce it but receptivity is more than capacity it is a faint desire or inclination hence st paul says that the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of god for they are foolishness unto him one corinthians two fourteen 
there is repulsion not recipiency in the natural man the carnal mind phronema is enmity against god romans eight seven when christ luke eighteen forty two said to the blind man receive thy sight there was no receptivity in the eye no favouring condition of the organ that facilitated the restoration of sight the causing of vision was wholly miraculous simultaneously with the words receive thy sight there was the exertion of creative power upon the sightless eye enabling it to the act of vision six regeneration is a work of god in the human soul that is below consciousness there is no internal sensation caused by it no man was ever conscious of that instantaneous act of the holy spirit by which he was made a new creature in christ jesus and since the work is that of god alone there is no necessity that man should be conscious of it this fact places the infant and the adult upon the same footing and makes infant regeneration as possible as that of adults infant regeneration is taught in scripture luke one fifteen he shall be filled with the holy spirit even from his mother's womb luke eighteen fifteen and sixteen suffer little children to come unto me for of such is the kingdom of god acts two thirty nine the promise is unto your children one corinthians seven fourteen now are your children holy infant regeneration is also taught symbolically a by infant circumcision in the old testament b by infant baptism in the new testament seven regeneration is not affected by the use of means in the strict signification of the term means the holy spirit employs means in conviction in conversion and in sanctification but not in regeneration the appointed means of grace are the word the sacraments and prayer none of these means are used in the instant of regeneration first because regeneration is instantaneous and there is not time to use them secondly because regeneration is a direct operation of the holy spirit upon the human spirit it is the action of spirit upon spirit of a divine person upon a human person whereby spiritual life is imparted nothing therefore of the nature of means or instruments can come between the holy ghost and the soul that is to be made alive god did not employ an instrument or means when he infused physical life into the body of adam there were only two factors the dust of the ground and the creative power of god which vivified that dust the divine omnipotence and dead matter were brought into direct contact with nothing intervening the dust was not a means or instrument by which god originated life so in regeneration there are only two factors the human soul destitute of spiritual life and the holy spirit who quickens it the dead soul is not an instrument by which spiritual life is originated but the subject in which it is originated when christ restored sight to the blind man he did it by creative energy alone without the use of means or instruments the light of day was not a means it contributed nothing to the result nor was the blind eye a means of originating vision when christ anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay mixed with spittle the act was symbolical probably but certainly the spittle was not a means employed by him to work the miracle in like manner the word and truth of god the most important of all the means of grace is not a means of regeneration as distinct from conviction conversion and sanctification this is evident when it is remembered that it is the office of a means or instrument to excite or stimulate an already existing principle of life physical food is a means of physical growth but it supposes physical vitality if the body is dead bread cannot be a means or instrument intellectual truth is a means of intellectual growth but it supposes intellectual vitality if the mind be idiotic secular knowledge cannot be a means or instrument 
spiritual truth is a means of spiritual growth in case there be spiritual vitality but if the mind be dead to righteousness spiritual truth cannot be a means or instrument truth certainly cannot be a means unless it is apprehended but the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of god neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned one corinthians two fourteen that regeneration is not effected by the use of means will appear from considering those cases in which means are employed one first the word and truth of god is a means of conviction because there is in the human conscience a kind of vitality that responds to the truth as convicting and condemning the apostasy did not kill the conscience stone dead if it had no fallen man could feel remorse adam's fall has benumbed and stupefied the conscience but there is still sufficient vitality left in it for it to be a distressing witness to man consequently the holy spirit employs truth as a means of exciting and stimulating the human conscience not of regenerating it in the strictest sense of the term the conscience is not made alive from the dead in the sense that the will is it has not lost all sensibility to moral truth it possesses some vitality that only needs to be stimulated and toned up this is done in conviction and by the use of truth as an instrument two secondly the word and truth of god is a means of conversion because regeneration has proceeded and has imparted spiritual life to the soul footnote in the case of an adult the precedence of regeneration to conversion is of order and nature only not of time regeneration immediately exhibits its fruit in the converting acts of faith and repentance in the case of infant regeneration there is an interval of time between regeneration and conversion End footnote. there is now a spiritual vitality that can respond to the truth the understanding having been enlightened by regeneration when the particular truth that the blood of christ cleanseth from all sin is presented it is apprehended this truth is now spiritually understood and is no longer foolishness to the mind and the will having been renewed and powerfully determined or inclined this same cardinal truth is believed savingly the doctrine of vicarious atonement thus becomes a means of faith in christ and faith in christ works by sorrow for sin and love of holiness faith and repentance are converting acts they are the substance of conversion and are brought about by the use of the appropriate means by the presentation of evangelical truth to a soul in which the holy spirit has operated with regenerating grace three thirdly the word and truth of god is a means of sanctification upon the same principle regeneration and conversion precede sanctification by regeneration spiritual life is originated by conversion spiritual life is put in action and manifested of course then the means of sanctification find a spiritual vitality in the soul to which they are correlated the holy spirit employs the word sacraments and prayer afflictions and all the discipline of life as instruments by which he excites and induces the renewed man to struggle with indwelling sin and to endure unto the end but when we consider regeneration itself and look into the soul for a principle of life and power to be correlated to means or instruments of regeneration we do not find any the unenlightened understanding is unable to apprehend and the unregenerate will is unable to believe vital force is lacking in these two principal faculties what is needed at this point is life and force itself consequently the author of spiritual life himself must operate directly without the use of means or instruments and outright give spiritual life and power from the dead that is ex nihilo 
the new life is not implanted because man perceives the truth but he perceives the truth because the new life is implanted a man is not regenerated because he has first believed in christ but he believes in christ because he has been regenerated he is not regenerated because he first repents but he repents because he has been regenerated eight regeneration is the cause of conversion the holy spirit acts in regeneration and as a consequence the human spirit acts in conversion and as the act of regeneration is not divisible between god and man neither is the act of conversion the converting activity of the regenerate soul moves in two principal directions a faith which is the converting or turning of the soul to christ as the redeemer from sin b repentance which is the converting or turning of the soul to god as the supreme good regeneration is instantaneous conversion is continuous faith is gradual and unceasing and so is repentance but regeneration is effected completely and once for all in connection with the doctrine that god is the sole author of regeneration several particulars are to be noticed one the reason for expecting the regeneration of men is found in god's promise to bestow regeneration not in man's power to produce it in his discourse on the day of pentecost peter assigns as a reason for repenting and being baptized for the remission of sins the fact that god has promised remission to as many as he had called acts two thirty eight and thirty nine he expected to see men repent under his preaching because god had exalted jesus to be a prince and a saviour for to give repentance acts five thirty one and because god also to the gentiles had granted repentance unto life acts eleven eighteen similarly paul exhorts timothy to be gentle unto all men in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves if god peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth two timothy two twenty four the preacher should confidently expect faith and repentance to follow from his preaching because of god's purpose and promise to bestow regenerating grace in connection with preaching in order to this expectation it is not necessary that he should know who are the particular persons whom god has elected it is enough to know that god has made an immense election that he has formed a purpose to regenerate a multitude which no man can number out of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues revelation seven nine two a second ground of hope and expectation that sinners will be regenerated is the fact that under the gospel dispensation god's regenerating grace is being continually exerted the holy ghost actually accompanies the faithful preacher of the word the prophets preach the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, 1 Peter 1.12. The Holy Spirit, as a regenerating spirit, is actually poured out among mankind. There is not a moment in which he does not regenerate many souls. Men are being born spiritually all the time, as men are being born physically all the time. 3. A third reason for the expectation that sinners will be regenerated is the fact that God has promised to pour out the regenerating spirit in answer to the prayers of the church the church can obtain the holy spirit for the sinful world bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me saith the lord of hosts if i will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing malachi three ten if ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children how much more shall your heavenly father give the holy spirit to them that ask him luke eleven thirteen the outpouring of the spirit at pentecost was an answer to the prayer of the church the question here arises what is man's relation to regeneration the answer is that his agency is not in regeneration itself but in the work of conviction which is preparatory or antecedent to regeneration the term preparative as used by the augustinian and calvinist 
is very different from its use by the semi-pelagian and arminian the former means by it conviction of sin guilt and helplessness the latter employs it in the sense of a preparative disposition or a favouring state of heart this is referred to in the westminster confession nine three a natural man is not able to convert himself or prepare himself thereunto the tenth of the thirty-nine articles also excludes the semi-pelagian preparatives to regeneration we have no power to do good works acceptable to god without the grace of god by christ preventing us that we may have a good will and working with us when we have that good will in the semi-pelagian use a preparative denotes some faint desires and beginnings of holiness in the natural man upon which the holy spirit according to the synergistic theory of regeneration joins having this sense of the term in view witsius says let none think it absurd that we now speak of means of regeneration when but a little before we rejected all preparatives for it owen on the other hand denies means and asserts preparatives of regeneration yet owen and witsius agree in doctrine in the calvinistic system a preparative to regeneration or a means of it is anything that demonstrates total lack of holy desire and his need of regeneration it is consequently not a part of regeneration but something prior and antecedent to it there is a work performed in the soul previous to the instantaneous act of regeneration as there is a work performed in the body previous to the instantaneous act of death a man loses physical life in an instant but he has been some time in coming to this instant so man gains spiritual life in an instant though he may have had days and months of a foregoing experience of conviction and sense of spiritual death this is the ordinary divine method except in the case of infants john the baptist was sent to preach the law in order to make ready a people prepared for the lord luke one seventeen conviction of sin in this instance was an antecedent or preparative to the regenerating work of the holy spirit but no part of regeneration itself there is a grace of god that goes before regenerating grace and makes the soul ready for it it is common or provenient grace man's work in respect to regeneration is connected with this moved and assisted by common or provenient grace the natural man is to perform the following duties in order to be convicted of sin and know his need of the new birth one reading and hearing the divine word romans ten seventeen faith cometh by hearing matthew thirteen nine who hath ears to hear let him hear the spirit of god maketh the reading but especially the preaching of the word an effectual means of enlightening convincing and humbling sinners of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto christ larger catechism one five five two serious application of the mind and examination of the truth in order to understand and feel its force luke eight eighteen take heed how ye hear for whosoever hath to him shall be given says owen should men be as intent in their endeavours after knowledge in spiritual things as they are to skill in crafts sciences and other mysteries of secular life it would be much otherwise with them the use of these means of conviction under common grace produces a illumination in regard to the requirements of the law and failure to meet them this is not the spiritual illumination of the regenerate mind one corinthians two fourteen but the legal illumination referred to in two corinthians seven ten b conviction and distress of conscience c reformation of the outward life end of section six